Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 30. The Weir Group opened for business in Glasgow in 1871 when two brothers, James and George Weir, found a new way to improve steamship performance. Still headquartered in Glasgow, the global engineering solutions business now has 15,000 employees across 50 countries and stunning views across the city from its purpose-built offices. I made my way there to visit the company's chief people officer, Rosemary McGuinness, who was recently named by the Financial Times as one of the 100 most influential women in the engineering sector. And it's easy to see why. Smart and energetic, she's built a highly impressive career in HR around the world, making her way to the Weir Group via the likes of Rocco Forty and William Grant. I began by asking Rosemary what she thought she would go on to do as a career when she was at school in Glasgow. I decided that... I would go and study maths and accounting. That was the, well, accounting right. really. So, um, but but quickly realised actually that I didn't want to be an accountant. So right. uh, that was my why learning was it, why from was that? that. Well, I suppose as you go through the education process and getting qualified as an accountant, I think it's a big ask if you're not really committed to being an accountant. And I hadn't really had the opportunity to under, understand what that looked like in business. I think had I understood that better, I might have been more interested in it. But um, I I realised quite early on that I couldn't see myself in an an office environment Mm -hmm. doing that kind of work every day. Um, And very quickly, my mother said, well, while you're thinking about that, get yourself a job. Um, Don't just navel gaze and and wonder about that. So um, I took a job as a cashier. I went to the job centre. There was a job as a cashier in a Mm -hmm. hotel which was really how I fell into the hospitality industry. Right. So you, are you from Glasgow originally? Yes, yes from you, Glasgow you originally. Yeah. So what was family life like growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a typical East End family. So um, we had a, you know, great... No, we're not. We're a small family. I've only got a sister, but um, we have a big extended family. Mm. So um, life was always busy with all of them, and um, yeah, into all sorts of activities. You know, we did. Uh, I liked to play hockey and netball at school. Um, we lived around the corner from a tennis court, so we had we had the cheap off-peak memberships, which meant in the summer we were there at five o'clock in the morning mm. as soon as the sun was up. And usually got thrown off the courts at nine o'clock, but um, love to play tennis through the summer. Um, so, so quite active and uh, yeah, I think just pretty normal, really. Right. And so, where did you study accountancy? Uh, at Glasgow, well, it's now Glasgow Caledonian University. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, going going back to you, you started working as a cashier. So, how did you enjoy that experience? Well, what I loved was actually the hospitality industry, and I still do love that industry today. It's um, and what happens is it's a great industry for uh, giving young people responsibility early on. Maybe a mm-hmm. bit sink and swim, to be honest. I'm not saying it's like that nowadays, but in those days it was certainly like mm-hmm. that. So I quickly uh, got into rooms management, and in those days we were just starting to think about yield. Actually, what was the? Could you sell bedrooms at a different price? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds obvious today, but in those days it wasn't that obvious. It was quite new thinking, and that really appealed to me because of my interest in numbers, I suppose. Um, so I moved into line management fairly quickly, and just got more and more responsibility and 
got to manage um, Sorry, people. this was with uh, Forte Hotels? It was. Yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. Albany Hotel in yeah. Glasgow, which right. no longer exists. Right. But, um, yes, yeah, so, so it was there. So it was a big hotel. Mm. Um, I do remember the first day I was duty manager. We had, I think it was about 250 bedrooms and... I remember we had a function for about 800 people downstairs in the big... It was one of the biggest function rooms in Glasgow at the time. And I do remember thinking, my goodness, this is crazy. (laughs) I'm I'm the the most responsible person in the building. Um, But did you get a real buzz from that responsibility? Absolutely. And you work hard. I mean, it's Mm. it's like any low-margin business. It's hugely dependent on people. Everybody works hard. But there were a lot of other young people like me working there. So it was socially very good Mm. and... Um, I learned a lot, you know, first line management role, first P&L responsibility, this kind of duty manager responsibility. Um, and also Trust House 40 was a massive organisation, so there sure, was yeah. a great opportunity yeah. within that business. So that, at that stage, were you beginning to think about a career in, in HR or did, did that take a little bit longer? No, not really. In fact, people who know me will laugh because I, uh, we had an opportunity to move to basically computerised the front office. So we had these old traditional systems where if somebody was in a bedroom, you put a little ticket in a against a number. And it was the introduction of reservations and front office systems. And the company decided they wanted rooms managers to lead the projects. And I decided it was the first opportunity to leave home, to get involved in a project. But it was a technology project, which is absolutely not <laughs> my bag. So, um, But as part of that, we managed teams of technology people, trainers and project accountants and I did that job for about four years, three years and during that time loved the training part and loved the change management that came with that. So that was the appealing part rather than the technology and through that got to understand a lot more about training and as a result of that was offered a role in the kind of leadership development academy that they had at that time, which gave me an opportunity oh. to move into management development, um, talent right. and succession plan and all of that. So that was a great opportunity. And it was like that in 40, to be honest. If you if you mm. did good work, people spotted you and, mm-hmm. and gave you opportunities that you probably weren't ideally equipped for, but there were enough good experts around you that you could learn. As long as you learned quickly and on the job, you, you got great development. So... Leadership Development Academy, that sounds like a great <laughs> initiative. Yes, it was great. In the, in the workforce. Yeah. It was, and it was the first real introduction to international as well. So right. we brought all our international general managers in there for training. So that gave me my first exposure to global businesses as well, really. Right. So what was next after, after Forte? So I was there for about 11 years, and typical of big corporations, we centralised and decentralised and things moved and I'd always done really well out of all the changes and I had managed to, by that point, do substantial jobs in all the HR disciplines, like employee relations in the London business, for example, was a big job that I did for a while. And I realised that, you know, you can only go through so many restructures before you think maybe the next time it won't go in my favour or I won't get Mm -hmm. to choose what I want to do. And I decided that I wanted to do an HR director's role to 
to get that responsibility, that overall responsibility. So I started looking for a role and, and quickly found the opportunity at Williams Lee, which was a, a business I didn't un- particularly understand, but I had a great chief exec who was really it's excited Business about outsourcing companies. Yes, it? yeah. But they were a traditional printer when I joined them, moving to business process outsourcing. So, again, it was a transformation role where we had, we had print unions, we had big printing factories, and we were moving basically onto our client premises to offer, it was word processing at that point, and reprographics, um, some basic services to banks and law firms. So it, it was a big shift in the business, and the, the chief exec that had been appointed had that vision for the future. So mm. it was really his vision that was compelling, more than particularly the industry or anything at that point. And again, it was a, a very bold business. move and, and, and probably a very wise one, given the way the, the printing industry has gone. Yes, no, mm. he was definitely a visionary, mm. and um, and he understood that he the, the the change that had to be brought around in the workforce as well, because right. it was a completely right. different skill set. The only thing that was constant between the two businesses was the client base. Right. And the customers had a lot of confidence in him. And yeah. that was really what they bought, was his vision for the future. Yeah. Because it was pretty leading edge at the so, time. So not only were you taking on your first HR director role, but you're also involved in this huge transition of the, the entire business. So how did you find it? It was pretty daunting at first. And I, I had a great mentor that I'd worked with in 40, and she was someone that had a lot of confidence in me, probably more confidence than I had in myself. So that was a bit of a security blanket, knowing there was somebody that I could call. Um, but actually, in comparison to what I'd been used to in 40, their people practices were pretty basic. So I knew I could immediately add value in terms of the HR, the employee experience and the HR solutions. The, the big area for me that was developmental was sitting on the management committee and making broader business decisions. But I, given I'd been a line manager in 40, I, I was equipped to do some of that and I certainly knew my way around P&L, for example. But I think it was also, that was what made it exciting and interesting. The, doing the HR piece was pretty easy, actually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you've got to stretch yourself and, and the best way to learn is by doing, as long as you've got the right support around you and, and see people to call when you, you've got a question you can't quite answer for yourself. And you then made another exciting step, moving to the States. Yes. You became SVP of HR for Baum, is it Baum? Baum Business Business Solutions. In New York. They were our joint venture partner. And they were, we had a lot of global clients and we were having difficulty delivering in the States. Um, So there was an opportunity for me to be seconded as the HR director or SVP um, for Mm. for HR in that business. Um, and I think what they saw we were doing well at Williams Lee was that the HR team was fully integrated in the sales process. Because when you're selling outsourcing, I mean, the, the product is people. Uh, of course, there's some, some ways of processing information, for example, but it's actually more about the people mm-hmm. and how we transferred people. And we'd got a name for being really good at that. In, we managed Europe and, and East, mainly Hong Kong, actually. So they were keen to see how we could get the HR group more involved with the sales process. So that was really the role that I played there, was to take what we'd done at Williams Lee and transport it into that business. Um, It started off as a one-year secondment, 
and I ended up being there for four years. Wow. So um, that, just a lot of change, a lot to do. And, you know, a year flies by. What can mm. you really deliver in a year? So. And how did you enjoy living in New York? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> what's there not to enjoy? It was fantastic. I lived in a... We had a company apartment just off Central Park. It was like, you know, wow. the perfect place to live. Um, I had space for visitors, so I was definitely <laughs> visited a lot, particularly because, of course, initially I was only there for a year. So everybody said, ah, you're only there for a year, we must come. And then it became two. Oh, well, we might have the opportunity to come back. So, yeah, it was socially very busy. Um, most It was hard work, though. Our biggest challenges were our customers on the West Coast. So my... I usually left New York on the Sunday night or very early on the Monday morning to get to California to meet customers, be with the business there. Our back office, so payroll and HR back office was Chicago, so usually I would fly back via um, Chicago, maybe do a Thursday there and get back to New York on a Friday. So it was... Right, OK. It, it was, and I was still, for the first year, um, covering my role in the UK, so... There was a lot of travel yeah. in that first year. That yeah. wasn't sustainable. And, and once I decided to stay beyond that, mm. I was replaced in the UK, which really helped me focus on the US. Um, but fantastic experience. I mean, we speak the same language, but the cultures are hugely different. Sure, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of Is there any Yeah, any lessons that you, you drew from working in the, the American culture? A lot about not, um, not making assumptions. So... Uh, and and really communicating and understanding, communicating to understand. I think uh, one one simple example of that was I had the, the kind of most senior HR person. I said to her, "Look, let's have a pact that you will give me feedback and make me aware of things that are different." And so after about four months, she said, "Rosemary, you need to give us more feedback." And I said, oh, "No problem, okay." And you know the usual feedback. Well, here's what's going really well. Here's an opportunity for improvement. So I immediately took that feedback on board and started to do that. And within about two weeks, she came back and said, no, I think what I meant was we need more praise. You know, and I thought it's quite a different... Right. And that the American yeah. culture versus the Scottish culture, mm, mm. that is a, a difference in right. terms of how, how much maybe praise people might need yeah. or reinforcement. So mm. um, really making sure that I had good understanding. I, it was also a, a big lesson in terms of uh, work-life balance and the fact that I really didn't have any and after a year was completely exhausted so it to the point where it, I was really forced to stop and think this is not sustainable mm -hmm. so you know it was great fun but actually I couldn't continue to to do have friends visiting at the weekend mm -hmm. be flying mm -hmm. all over mm -hmm. the states you just can't perform well over time so uh, that was a lesson in terms of me knowing my limitations right and, was, and that presumably brought you back to the UK eventually you thought yes time, time well, for a change. Um, so the UK business that I'd worked for bought the US business I was working for and I was offered the opportunity to stay in that business but I it felt like it was a great time to move back to the UK my mum was getting on a bit in age and I I, I thought it was an opportunity to a uh, move back to the UK. I didn't intend actually to move back to Scotland, but serendipity, uh, the opportunity came at, at William Grant and Sons. And how did that opportunity arise? It, just through a headhunter. I spoke right. to some people about the fact that I was thinking about moving back to the UK. I wanted to take some time off to travel a bit, so I, I planned to take six months off, but um, I did manage to take about three off. 
and a headhunter told me about that opportunity. And I have to say, initially I thought, oh, whiskey, it sounds a bit traditional and stuffy and not sure about that really. Um, but again, another very compelling chief exec, Roland Van Bommel, who was um, yeah, very inspiring and he had, again, a business transformation plan which was about really moving the business from a Scottish export company to a truly global brands business. Mm. And he and this was the first time HR was going to sit on the executive committee. So it was had been elevated to have a seat at the table, as they say. Right. And um and the fact that it was based in Glasgow just seemed mm. like a perfect mm. opportunity. And although in some ways it was a smaller job it was it was a really interesting role, and I think I was more. There were a lot of other personal reasons why it suited at the time, but it was also going to be a challenging role. So that was really what brought me back to. So how, how did you find it? So it's a, a family business with a long heritage, but going through this this big change, and you're in that pivotal HR director role. <coughs> what were the challenges, and, and how did you so, tackle them? Interestingly, although I've worked for much larger companies. All the businesses I've worked with have had that family business thread. You know, Trust House 40 was set up by Charles Forty. When I was there, he was still alive and in the business. And then his son Rocco Forty ran it. So that was a family business. Williams Lee was a family business. Um, it isn't anymore, but it was then. And I mean, even today in Weir, it was established by the Weir mm. brothers. Clearly not a family business anymore. But I, I like the the values that tend to come with family businesses. I love the idea of being able to take a very long-term view, which you can do in a, a private company, but also the nature of whiskey is that you have to be thinking about long-term planning mm. to lay down stocks and things. So, um, and you know, what I loved about that business is it's a very proud business. It punches above its weight. It's hugely successful. And um, the family are very considered in the way they run the business. So, it, was, it, it wasn't broken by any stretch of the imagination. It was really about enhancing the employee experience. And when we did some early work on employer brand, we realised that there wasn't a bad brand, it just wasn't known. So as we were building the brands in new markets, we really had to have a message for potential employees so they could understand who we were and what we stood for. And although people usually knew the brands, Glenfiddich, Balvenie and, and certainly Hendricks Gin, they often didn't know William Grant and Sons. So a lot of it was about marketing the company as a great employer, really. Um, and, and, and that was quite new to me because most of the other employers I'd worked for had been known entities. Right. So yeah. that, that was great work. It was obviously very international. And the thing I loved about it was it had a lot of the, the um, atmosphere of the hospitality industry. You're back in a very sociable environment. Yeah. And yeah. it reminded me of, of the kind of fun that we had right. in that business yeah. as well. So, um, Do yeah, you like whiskey? Yes, I do. I have to admit, I didn't when I started, but I decided that I would like to find one that I liked, mm. and and uh, the Master Blender helped All me right. choose. Yep. And I do love uh, the Balvenie; it's a very nice right. um, brand, so yep. I like that now. Around this time that you started getting involved, also with uh, Young Enterprise Scotland, um, and you contributed there as a board member and a chair for for nine years. Why did you want to get involved in that? So really, part of coming back to Scotland, I'd always done some pockets of. of work with not-for-profits when I worked. But moving back to Scotland, I really thought it was a great opportunity to give back to Scotland. And I heard about Young Enterprise Scotland through a contact um, who... And, and basically, that was a biz, an organisation that, that it was about improving the employability of young people, particularly in relation to setting up their own business. 
And I was just really compelled by that idea that we could make a difference. The Scottish economy depends on entrepreneurs. Mm. And there were a lot of young people that maybe weren't achieving academic potential, but could be given business skills to help them be successful. In particular, we also supported young offenders, and that was that was hugely rewarding. People who were going to find it really difficult to get a job, like a mainstream career, mm. but maybe we could give them business skills that would enable them to set up their own business and, and provide for themselves, and hopefully it would help them not re-offend. So it, was a, it's a, it is a fantastic today, fantastic organisation, and I continue to support them, but of course I did... Um, six years as a board member, three years yeah, as a chair, course, yeah. and, and that was that was enough. And you've got other commitments as well, because you're also now a board member for uh, Business Beats Cancer and a, and, a, and a social enterprise called Miss Miss Mrs. Yes. Um, so why, why did you get involved in those as well? Again, just the opportunity to give something back. I mean, it's hugely rewarding. Miss Miss Mrs. is a, a social enterprise set up by Sylvia Douglas, who's an incredible chief exec. Um, she's she's got a fantastic vision of how we can empower women and girls. She's just making a huge difference and she's very outcome focused. So we see the results of the work there. So that's just hugely rewarding. And my, my anything I can do to contribute to that is really, really fantastic. Um, I also suffered from cancer a couple of years ago, uh, well, quite a few years ago now, and benefited from cancer research through my treatment and recovery and prognosis so I really wanted to give something back there and had the opportunity to establish Business Beats Cancer Edinburgh which is an annual dinner. We had our first dinner last year and raised £70,000 which were our target this year is to raise £100,000 and that money goes to cancer research but used in in this case in the Edinburgh area so it felt like as I say it made a difference to me and that was Mm. the way I wanted to Mm recognise that so um, again, hugely rewarding. I also sit on a board with some fantastic people. So you get the benefit of just broadening your network, working with some mm. people you wouldn't usually work with. And particularly when you chair something like that, you know, it tests your leadership skills in a different mm. kind of way because most people, well, all these people are volunteers. So working with them and helping, influencing people to do things mm. when you're when, when it's a, um, a voluntary position is is challenging in, in its own way so that's usually benefic- beneficial to kind of personal development I suppose uh, and a very different sort of volunteer role but being from Glasgow you th- threw yourself into the the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games as a volunteer as well what did you yes. end up doing there well that was great fun and that was just you know a proud Glaswegian absolutely wanted to be a part of that um, I was actually delighted to be a front runner so front runners were the people who recruited the volunteers and we interviewed, I, th- I think the numbers, are, I might be not bang on in this, but I think we interviewed over 40,000 people for 25,000 volunteer positions. Um, so I mainly did that on a Thursday evening and a Saturday. And it, it was fascinating because we wanted to ensure complete diversity in the, in the volunteer pool. So when we interviewed, we interviewed to hire. We didn't interview to deselect, which is what we usually do. Mm-hmm. We were really looking, we were helping people to answer the questions almost, to, to bring out the best in them so that we could get those people as volunteers. Nice. So it was fabulous, hugely rewarding. The stories people told, one of our questions was, you know, why do you want to do this and what are you most pr- what's your most proud accomplishment? 
people from all backgrounds telling mm. you great stories every Saturday. It was it was a joy, an absolute joy. And then I went on to be a spectator um, support person at the Emirates, so the track cycling. Right. So I also was a volunteer myself afterwards. But the bit I really enjoyed was the selecting right. the volunteers, right. yeah. I must admit. It was wonderful. Great. Um, and you became Chief People Officer here at the Weir Group two years ago. So what are the key issues that you've been focusing on since then and what, what did the, the company want you to do when they brought you on? So um, just over two years ago, we appointed a new chief exec, John Stanton, who had previously been the CFO, and he had a vision for HR and how he wanted people to feel in the organisation and that resulted in this opportunity. And um, When I met him to discuss the opportunity at first, he said he wanted to create a place where people could do the best work of their lives God, and as an HR professional, that is like manna from heaven. It's, it's the perfect place to mm. be. So, so I was um, absolutely convinced that this was the right opportunity for me. It was really hard to leave Grants. I'd been there 12 mm. years and it was a great 12 years. But this also gave me the opportunity to stay in Glasgow, but be part of a, a truly global business. Um, so it, was, it was, didn't take me long to think that one through. Um, the big challenges we have here is that we're a very federated business. We've got three divisions. We've got regions within them. And to achieve this vision of we are we're and bring us all together under that we're umbrella, there are some things that we want to do with our employees to help us take us towards that. So, um, again, there's some HR transformation. We don't have great information. We don't have great HR technology. So we're looking at installing a new HR system to help us get great data about our people, which will lead to great insights and Ultimately, we're focused on having a, an optimal employee experience. So that's really what the, what the journey is here. And have you felt over the two years that you've made some pretty good progress in, in that vision? We a have, place where people can do you their know, greatest work. First of all, two years flies by, you know, mm. when there's a lot to be done. So I would say, I mean, the things that I'm most proud of at the moment are that we've, we've done our first ever global employee survey. We had done surveys across the business, but it's our first measure of employee sentiment across the business. And we also did that in 21 languages to make sure we were fully inclusive. Um, and not, not every organisation does that, but we wanted to make sure that employees could answer in their own language so we could really get their sentiment. We also launched an all-employee share plan. So every employee in Weir is now a shareholder, which I'm really proud of. And that was, that was the first iconic action we really undertook in support of this framework, We Are Weir. We truly are Weir if we're mm. all shareholders. Mm -hmm. So getting employees really thinking about the long term and, and understanding our vision and values was, was a part of that. So hugely proud of that. We've also um, got approval for this HR system, which is a big investment. And we are very early stages of that. But I think the confidence shown in, in making that investment and understanding that from that we can transform the employee experience that we are, I think gives us a, gives shows a lot of confidence in my vision for, for HR. Um, clearly, we've got to deliver on it now. So, But on, on the right track on all these big programmes and getting great feedback, actually, from employees and leaders in the business. Right. And it is telling that you're, you are a chief people officer rather than an HR director, uh, which is, is probably a sign of how HR has changed over the past 20, 30 years. And, I mean, how, how, how do you think that the role has changed within business and do you think it's taken a 
it's clearly taken a lot more seriously at board level now. I think so, and, and you know, not just at, at board level, but now in the wider investor community. I mean, the UK Governance Code changes that talk about employee voice representation at board level. I mean, investors are saying they're interested in all the stakeholders, mm. of course, shareholders, mm-hmm. certainly customers, but they're really interested in employees. So, so that's put it at the forefront, really, of board reporting, um, which I think is going to be good for, for the business and, and good for people professionals like myself I think I do think things have changed Uh, boards understand the importance of inclusion and diversity they understand that we have to build the capabilities for the future and HR has a role to play in that they do understand that that highly talented people have choices and we've got to ensure that they choose our business over other businesses Mm. which is is also challenging in the types of industries that we operate in you know, not not everybody sees them as attractive industries, so we have to be an employer of choice. So I think all those things make it inevitable that HR has a, a strong role to play in the business. And the job title of Chief People Officer signifies that it sits alongside the Chief Financial Officer, the Chief Legal Officer, mm. the Chief Information Officer. Mm. You know, I think I think that's that's an important uh, differentiation, really, um, and. I certainly think that in forward-thinking businesses, we're there. Nobody's debating, does HR have a place at the table anymore? Sure, yeah. And with 2020 just a couple of months away, do you have any other big new initiatives or is it pretty much a case of carrying on the work that you've already started? Well, I think this point I mentioned about employee voice is big for us. We're, right. we're doing a lot of the groundwork this year, making sure how do we really hear from employees and mm. how does that inform boards in terms of thinking and strategy and uh, of course the employee experience so we've we've laid the groundwork this year I think next year we'll really be able to publish more about that so I'm excited about that certainly the other area that we're looking at is how we build tailored individual personalized learning um, so in terms of the employee experience we've got a lot of employees who don't sit at PCs every day so connecting with them those non-wired employees and making sure they have equal access to learning is something that we're really working through just now and, and next year will be a major focus for us so right. um, and of course all the other HR transformation particularly the technology program continues next year right um, everywhere that you've worked you've, you've given a, a Good service. You've been there for a decent amount of time, but you've also kind of known when it's time to move on. Are you somebody that's always kind of itching for a, to take on a new challenge? Yes, indeed. And I think I think for sure that there's a lot of challenge here at Weir for a good few years yet. But I can also get that through the not-for-profit work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do like to challenge myself in terms of personal growth and learning. So I mentioned data earlier, and, and one of the areas I'm really interested in is improving my knowledge around data analytics and really building insight from data. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that. So I can set learning challenges like that myself. Um, I think the, the the businesses that I've worked in have always been growing and developing and, and I think we're it's a great organisation with a fabulous future so um, I'm not sure I'll be here for 12 years in the way that I was with grants I might be, I'm hopefully retired before then but yeah there's a lot to do here for sure and away from the workplace, I mean, what, what do you do? What's a typical weekend like? Oh, um, a typical way, I do, usually I'm a bit of a weekend warrior when it comes to exercise. Don't get as much done during the week. So certainly a um, park run, ideally. Right. I love park yeah. run, a 5K. Yeah. Love yoga, get stretched out, particularly after a week of travel. 
Um, I, yeah, eating, drinking, cooking. I like to cook mm. and uh, love live entertainment. So any opportunity to go to the theatre or go to a concert will be much enjoyed. Fantastic. And if you could give Rosemary McGuinness, aged 18, one little piece of advice based on what you've learned through the years, what would that be? I think, I think it's got to be about seizing opportunities. You know, and I, although I think I did that, I would love to have got more international experience earlier in my career. I think I could have done that earlier and maybe have more international mm-hmm. exposure than I did. Um, but that's, yeah, I think just seize every opportunity. Don't be afraid. Go for it. And just for a little bit of fun, I've got five quick questions for you here right. to answer. Okay. Just, just, just go for it. Last place you went on holiday? I was in San Pedro a few weeks ago for a family wedding in Spain. Beautiful. Lovely week. Favourite comedian? It's got to be Billy Connolly, I think. Yeah, he's still my favourite. He was on the radio this morning, very funny, talking about Brexit. Oh, right. I'll, um, look, I'll listen worth to listening that. To. Uh, what's for tea tonight? I'm going out to Crab Shack, which is also oh. one of my favourite restaurants, so something fishy. Nice. Um, fantasy alternative career? I think a travel photographer. Or maybe journalist photographer. Right. Certainly something yeah, involving yeah. travel yeah. and maybe photography. Huh? And lastly, your favourite place on earth? The west coast of Scotland, I think. Yeah, <laughs> any of those beaches, Arasig, up, up right. that kind of corner, beautiful. Rosemary McGuinness, thank you very much. That was a pleasure. Thank you, Fraser. Another brilliant contributor to the podcast series. Thanks to Rosemary, and we'll be back again in two weeks' time. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.